So we talk about focusing on how to help retailers do what they need to do to survive in a market where consumers are moving online. If ever there was a time for retailers to rebel and speak up, I don't want to say against the brands, but speak up to the brands and say, listen, we do all this work to make sure that we get the products presented properly and consistently to customers. And yet you, the brand, you don't control your distribution. You don't control your branding. And that creates a situation where channels like Amazon can run wild and bastardize things all day long, take margin from us, take sales from us, take customers from us. What are you going to do, Mr. Brand, to clean things up? You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey folks, we have a truly fascinating episode of the pod for you today. I had the chance to sit down recently with James Thompson, who's a partner at Buybox Experts and also a past Amazon insider. That's right. He spent many years as part of the Amazon team and then eventually started Buybox Experts to help brands and retailers develop their Amazon strategies and also their digital strategies as well. So we wanted to sit down with him, get his take on not just the shift to digital, but Amazon's role in the future of e-commerce and frankly, what brands and retailers need to do about the Amazon toolbox and how they need to respond in order to not just compete against the online giant, but frankly, coexist with it. And James has a, frankly, very realistic viewpoint of where the industry is today, where it's going, and what all parties need to do to adapt. So regardless of whether you're a part of a brand or part of a retailer, you'll definitely get some strategic digital takeaways here. James, thanks so much for taking the time. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me today, Alicia. So first, why don't you introduce yourself? Start with the basics. Share a little bit about you and, of course, the work you do with Buybox Experts. Thanks, Alicia. So I'm a former Amazonian. I spent six years at Amazon working on third-party marketplace issues. I left about seven years ago and have since been working with brands, helping them with the Amazon channel. So my business partner and I run this company called Buybox Experts. It's about a 145-person agency. And we work with brands and retailers and look at all the challenges of the Amazon sandbox. We are also very busy with educational involvement in the Prosper Show, which is the largest continuing education conference founded by us five and a half, six years ago. And we've written a couple of books on Amazon specifically aimed at brands and retailers who are struggling with understanding how to play the game the Amazon way. So a very challenging place to be but certainly lots and lots of opportunity for companies to sell on Amazon. And so we're, we're very excited to be in a good place right now. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into some of those nuances, like some of the new realities that come into playing the Amazon way, like you say, which I think is a good way to uh, put it, or the Bezos way. And I'm sure you've had some really fascinating conversations lately, especially looking at it through the broader digital and e-commerce opportunities 
that are emerging, just given the current climate that we're in. So let's start there. We can kind of unravel some of the layers that I'm sure exist. So what are you hearing most about right now? I mean, this could be negative or positive, right? I'm sure there are challenges and opportunities here. Well, I mean, the positive is, gosh, look at all these consumers that have run to online channels and are buying their products online. Look at all these consumers that have tried out new online channels or have tried out new categories of products online. This is all very exciting for the types of companies we work with because, quite frankly, the, the biggest issue for any retailer or brand is getting consumer trial. Well, consumer trial is happening in an incredibly large way right now. And not to say that consumers aren't going to go back to physical stores when it's safe to do so, but consumers will have had the experience of actually shopping and trying out online grocery shopping or trying buying apparel online, which they may not have done before. These types of new experiences for consumers will definitely carry over. And at least some of the wallet of consumers will continue to be spent online, where in the past consumers weren't comfortable making those purchases online. So that's all exciting if you're somebody who's set up to sell online. It's also very, very scary if you're a retailer or a brand that hadn't adequately developed an online channel strategy. And so one of the things we're seeing right now is brands and retailers who, let's split those apart, uh, brands that were completely dependent on physical retailers to presenting their products to consumers. Some of those brands are in big trouble because the retailers didn't have an online channel in place. And consumers are experiencing those brands because there's no legitimate way to experience them during a situation where there's next to no foot traffic physically. If you're a retailer and you are heavily dependent on your brick and mortar presence and you don't have a well-established online presence, you're also in a world of hurt. And quite frankly, even if you do have a Shopify site or you do have some website of your own, if you haven't been adequately building customer lists and looking for ways that you can reach out to consumers during times when consumers aren't otherwise coming into the store, it's a pretty scary time to be a retailer. Yeah. And thank you so much, James, for kind of breaking down the nuances for brands versus retailers, because there are very different challenges and opportunities there. But I do want to go back to your point around the acceleration of digital. It's something that we've been hearing so much about. Some research, I think it's Periscope by McKinsey, said that according to some estimates, we saw like 10 years worth of e-commerce growth in three months. I mean, that's fantastic. And I know a lot of folks have pointed to the fact that that's likely new users, people who haven't used digital before, like you were noting. But this type of acceleration isn't sustainable, right? Like, where do you think this space is going long term in terms of growth? Like, will we be seeing like these new digital users stick around? Or where do you think this is going? I know a lot of it's still up in the air, but do you have a take based on what you're seeing in the marketplace? So consumers can rush to buy products online. It doesn't mean that long-term, the online purchasing experience does a good job of mirroring what consumers are looking for when they go shopping, not buying, but when they go shopping. And as I think about the process of going into a mall or wandering around a store, that whole aspect of discovery, finding classes of products or brands that you've never experienced before and learning about them for the first time, online is not particularly well set up to support that. And so I anticipate that, yes, while online will continue to be strong, if this is not an indefinite straight line where eventually we'll have 150% of all purchases happening online. Not at all. The technology has to catch up to find a way that consumers 
can leverage online for product discovery. Yes, we can use it for buying stuff we are already familiar with, but they're very quickly will cap out a place where consumers are anxious to learn more about just stuff in general versus I have a shopping list I need to fill. Let's look at Amazon, for example. They've done a very good job of being able to fill all this immediate need product that, that people need. But even Amazon is struggling with building out capacity of last mile delivery. And even if they do figure out how to do however much product delivery is needed, they still need to work on finding better ways for consumers to discover products that they're not otherwise familiar with. I'm really glad you brought up that point because it's true. I mean, e-commerce gives you such access to so many options, new brand discovery, new product discovery. But a lot of times when you go to those site experiences, right, whether it be Amazon or elsewhere, it still can't quite fulfill what that in-person experience gives you. And I know a lot of a lot of folks early on in the pandemic were rushing online just to fulfill that immediate need to close those gaps that they largely needed to fill because stores weren't open, right? I mean, other than those grocers and folks like that. But to go into your point earlier around the emphasis on digital strategy, e-commerce experience, where are you seeing brands and even retailers really prioritize their budgets, their strategy time, right? Is it mainly for creating their own branded experience and really making sure that experience is stellar? Is it selling on Amazon? Is it a combination of the two? I mean, I'm sure this is a case as well where the differences between brands and retailers really comes into play as well, right? So let's look at a couple of different business models. There is the brand that uses the retailer to get to consumers. Uh, we talked earlier about if the retailer isn't already set up with a well-established e-commerce presence, that's a pretty rough road for the brand. There are vertically integrated brands. You know, a lot of apparel brands will have physical stores, plus they are the brand. I happen to be in a lot of mailing lists of those types of companies. And what I've seen in the last five and a half months is really quite disappointing. I'm seeing the same standard, hey, we're having a sale, come and check us out. Okay, well, I don't really need apparel right now, thank you very much. And by the way, this is exactly the same kind of promotion you've run pre-COVID every two weeks, every two months, whatever. So the message really hasn't changed and the opportunity for consumers to feel like there's a meaningful engagement rather than news that we're having yet another sale, that level of sophistication isn't there for a lot of these vertically integrated brands. The challenge of most physical retailers is that they don't have good lists of customers that they can leverage in a situation where they have to push everybody to an online situation. Yeah, you may have a frequent buyer card. Yeah, you may have some information from stuff that people filled out in store. But if I had to, as a retailer, if I had to go to my consumers and do it in a targeted manner, meaning I don't treat them all as one mass, to have adequate data to be able to parse out different customers with different needs and their responsiveness to different types of offers when presented with something that needs to be purchased online, that's a level of sophistication and testing that has happened in the past that you can't just speed roll through that in a matter of a couple of months and be in a place to survive. Look at some of these online marketplaces and like Amazon where they're doing testing every single day. They're trying out new things. They're looking for ways to be able to target to an audience of one and do that as effectively as possible. 
I'm not suggesting that physical retailers need to be looking for ways to do marketing to a unit of one, but you need to be able to do some targeting with different types of offers, different types of products, different types of messages. That's sophistication that if your sunk costs are all put into your physical stores and you haven't invested in an e-commerce business, it's hard to spin that up and spin it up quickly. It will become very apparent by the end of Q4 this year, which retailers have actually got their act together. Because the ones that don't have their act together are going to be so far behind everybody else. And I'm making the assumption here that we're not going to be rushing back to stores in November and December. And so the companies that do have online ready to go, that do have effective targeting, do have effective messaging in place, they're going to be in a much, much better position to survive and hopefully thrive in a model where consumers don't want to go to a physical store, even if they're open. Yeah, some great points there. And I would argue that that line between the folks that have made the proper investments in whether it's digital in and of itself or omni-channel versus those that have not, those have nots really rose to the top, I think, when we're in the heart of COVID lockdowns and the companies that were struggling financially for a while, it was a big tipping point, right? So interesting to see what, what other companies really rise to the top as these behaviors sustain. And I do want to go back to your point around data-driven decision-making, that granularity really being a key differentiator for Amazon, because I, I wholeheartedly agree. When I go to the Amazon website or even the app, right, it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, there's nothing glitzy or you know highly memorable about it, but it's like that level of granularity that they can do from a site structure perspective, a product recommendation perspective, email. I mean, that's the, always been the key areas where Amazon has really risen to the top. So as we start to continue to go through this new reality or whatever we want to call it, you know, more and more people coming online, how do you think Amazon's impact and influence will change, I guess, for consumers, right? I mean, how will this impact their market share moving forward, if at all? I mean, feel free to prove or, or say otherwise. I think you're going to see an awful lot of brands that have been over-reliant on physical retailers. Many of those brands have rejected Amazon for a long time. I remember 10 years ago when I was at Amazon, brands would say, you're so small. Why would we ever want to go and sell with you? And then you know, in the last five years, brands have said, you're too bossy. We don't want to work with you because we're a brand and we have a the, the branding, the brand equity that we're trying to promote isn't consistent with the transactional nature of your marketplace. Well, it turns out that's all very nice and well, but hey, Mr. Brand, unless you have a better alternative of how to get in front of a couple hundred million customers, you're likely going to be pushed to needing to have an Amazon channel strategy. And I didn't say you're going to like it, but I am going to say that if you don't have a presence on Amazon, that means your competitors that do play that game are going to be in a much better position to not only get more than their fair share of traffic, but also be in a position that they continue to be relevant. Let's say COVID lasts, or let's say the effects of COVID last for another year. What happens in a year from now when we're back to some new normal? Are consumers going to be saying, I want to go back to the exact same consideration set of brands that I used to look at a year and a half, two years ago? Or are they going to say, I've kind of moved on because there are new brands that have presented themselves and done a good job of making themselves relevant to me. Those are the kinds of questions that brand executives should be asking themselves. And unfortunately, for a brand that wants to be independent of Amazon, it's getting harder and harder to do that. 
the brand doesn't necessarily have to sell direct to consumer on Amazon. They don't even necessarily have to wholesale to Amazon. They may let third-party sellers participate in doing the hard work of getting products in front of consumers. But when you look at the Amazon shopping experience, something I'm sure you've noticed when you go looking for certain products, there's all sorts of brands you've never heard of. And they're on page one, unbranded search. And as a consumer, I am more willing to try things out if they've already made it to page one, they've already got 50 positive reviews, they've already got high quality content. That makes me more interested in saying, okay, well, let's have a look at this versus if I'm wandering around a mall and there's some branded store that I've never heard of, I'm not going to wander into that branded store. And yet here we have a situation where consumers online are trying out new brands they never otherwise would have tried. And many of them are finding that these brands aren't so bad. And so the well-established, long-term brick-and-mortar brand that doesn't leverage Amazon in some manner, even if it's just for advertising, not even selling, just for advertising, those brands are going to be in a world of hurt because there's too many other products, too many other brands that are being presented to consumers today online that ultimately will end up getting share and getting share that some of these well-established brands don't understand how these small brands ever grab their lunch. Yeah, no, some great points there, James. And it's been really interesting, I think, to see the narrative evolve around Amazon. I've been covering retail for about a decade now. And for a while, it was how do we compete against Amazon? How do we apply some of the same tactics that they have that have been effective and take that market share back? And now it's becoming more of a, okay, well, how do we, whether it's partner with them or advertise through them, or what does our presence look like for Amazon? They're developing strategies for Amazon specifically to exist alongside them rather than being an us or them situation. So it is truly fascinating. But I do want to kind of get into some of the current events surrounding Amazon and how that may impact the future of those relationships and those strategies. So a while back, Jeff Bezos was questioned in an antitrust hearing alongside a few other CEOs from Apple, Facebook, Google, some interesting findings and takeaways around Amazon's relationships with sellers, the use of data, not just to help those sellers, but to power their own private label business. As someone who has been with Amazon and now is so still immersed in Amazon helping other companies, you know, build their strategies and be successful. What are some of the most critical takeaways from that conversation with Bezos from a strategic perspective, right? Looking at this through the lens of a, I'm a retailer trying to figure out my strategy and how to move forward. I mean, what what are some of the most critical takeaways from that testimony? So, a couple things that this issue of Amazon using seller data potentially for its own benefit, that's been an open secret for a long time on Amazon. Any third party seller on Amazon that's been there for more than a couple of years knows that Amazon is always pushing itself to the front of the line and brands and retailers that participate as third party or first party sellers, they are at the mercy of whatever Amazon decides to do when it comes to the merchandising and advertising of products. So Bezos' testimony was not surprising when it comes to, hey, we may be using the data. What was more surprising for me was this is really a public acknowledgement that it's not just we don't have control of our own employees when it comes to them following internal policy around who does or doesn't use what data, but it's, it's a broader question of, hey, I'm a brand and yet there's all this counterfeit product of mine 
that's showing up on Amazon. And Amazon doesn't seem to have good control of the counterfeits. They don't have good control of basically the bad guys. You create this huge frictionless marketplace where you invite everybody and anybody to show up and start selling products. That creates a situation where, well, you're going to end up with some problems. And the policing of a marketplace that is rampant for a lot of the wrong incentives to generate bad guys on a marketplace, that kind of stuff happens. And you have a million sellers, you have one level of problem. You have two million sellers, you have more than twice the problem. You have five million plus sellers today, you have well more than five times the problem because you just can't rely exclusively on uh, AI or computers to find all the problems and solve them all. There are far too many situations that we run into daily with our own clients where there are false positives, there are false negatives. Even if you get it 99% right, let's take 10 billion transactions a year and get something 99% right. That's an awful lot of things you get wrong. That's an awful lot of customers being harmed. That's an awful lot of sellers being harmed, an awful lot of brands being harmed. And quite frankly, Amazon hasn't been able to, to move fast enough. And as long as they continue to look at their marketplace as being something that must be open for anyone to show up and sell product, they're going to continue to have these problems. At some point, customer trust is going to take a beating. I don't think customers, for the most part, are going to care whether Amazon uses third-party seller data to build its own private label brands. I don't see that as being a big issue for consumers. I do see it being a much bigger issue if consumers lose trust in, am I buying a product that's actually legitimate or is it counterfeit and it's mixed in with everything else? And Amazon doesn't really know one way or the other if I'm getting something legitimate. Yeah, that's actually a really fantastic point that I didn't really think through all of the layers there, right? So on one end, it's counterfeits or, or copycat type products. I know that happens a lot in the luxury space and is kind of accelerating as a result of e-commerce and these third-party sellers. But then there's also the fact that sometimes content that is shared, largely product descriptions, but most of all imagery, right? I mean, I see so many reviews like this looks nothing like the image that was shared in this Amazon listing. So that disparity. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, because, let's. Because while your audience may be primarily retailers, there's a very important lesson to be learned here for brands. No one cares about your brand as much as you do. And whether you want to be on Amazon or not, it's pretty safe to assume your products will be sold by somebody on Amazon. And if your products are being sold by somebody, what are you doing as a brand? to ensure that your branding is consistent with everything else that you're trying to communicate in every other channel. There's an awful lot of passive brands on Amazon, brands that say, you know what, because I don't like Amazon or because I don't understand how this game is played, I'm not going to participate, i.e. I'm implicitly letting somebody else decide how to represent my brand. But I'm also letting somebody else bastardize all the messaging of my brand to the Amazon customer. And so we spend a lot of time talking to brands who for better or for worse, have a bad attitude about Amazon, and we have to explain to them, listen, you need to control branding, regardless of whether you sell here. Because if you don't protect your own brands, and then, by the way, Amazon has tools that will help brands protect their branding and have the right images and the right content. Most brands don't take advantage of that. And so if a brand isn't actively managing its own branding, it is pretty safe to assume that the sellers who sell your products on Amazon don't care about your brand anywhere near as much as you do, which means they're going to take 30 seconds and a bunch of iPhone photos and slap it up on Amazon and spend 30 seconds writing a product description. That's going to be your branding on Amazon. I didn't say you like it, but the reality is that's what consumers are presented with. And oh, by the way, 
even if you do control your branding, now we quickly get into this problem of because Amazon's an open marketplace and you've got all sorts of unauthorized sellers who show up with product and sell it, assume it's all legitimate product. Those sellers are not bound to any pricing rules that you may have with your traditional retailers. And so if I'm a retailer that's being held to a minimum advertising pricing policy by the brand, I can go onto Amazon and I can very easily see that um, who are these guys selling the product at 20% less than what I'm being required to sell in my physical store? I'm a retailer. I'm not happy at all. And so that, again, goes back to the brand being held accountable for making sure that they control distribution. Most brands have no idea how to control distribution. And to make things worse, in the United States, there are laws that protect gray market sellers and unauthorized sellers. And what better marketplace to go to, what better channel to go to than the Amazon channel, where I can go and find product here and there in whatever dark corners I want. I can put it on Amazon. If these products sell a lot of volume, I'm pretty confident that I can sell through it. And I can sell it at a lower price and move through it quickly. Amazon customers are happy. The brand is not happy. And the retailers of that brand, they're also not happy because my customers can easily see that things are cheaper on Amazon. Why would I buy things on the shelf here in the store? So we talk about focusing on how to help retailers do what they need to do to survive in a market where consumers are moving online. If ever there was a time for retailers to rebel and speak up, I don't want to say against the brands, but speak up to the brands and say, listen, we do all this work to make sure that we get the products presented properly and consistently to customers. And yet you, the brand, you don't control your distribution. You don't control your branding. And that creates a situation where channels like Amazon can run wild and bastardize things all day long, take margin from us, take sales from us, take customers from us. What are you going to do, Mr. Brand? to clean things up? What are you going to do to evolve the way you think about channel management to ensure that we as retailers have a legitimate shot capturing that customer's business versus that customer saying, I'll save 20% and just buy it online and have it shipped to my house in the next two days? Yeah. Those are some really fantastic points, James. So it definitely seems like there needs to be an alignment or a meeting of the minds between the brands and the retailers, maybe a more upfront conversation around the role that Amazon plays in the brand strategy? Is there a channel management process in place? I guess my follow-up question for you then is what role does Amazon's advertising offerings, if at all, kind of play into this? And, And are there any nuances about how their advertising services and offerings work? Are there any nuances that need to be brought up now as brands are kind of thinking through what that strategy looks like. Amazon advertising, in some people view it as a new form of tax on Amazon. I would argue that there's been advertising in place or slotting fees in place in most retail channels for decades. So Amazon's just catching up with the world. That being said, Amazon does a form of advertising called DSP advertising, which is retargeting Amazon customers and grabbing them after they've left Amazon and gone to their favorite news site or sports site or whatever, and basically try to bring them back. What I found absolutely fascinating about DSP, one of the reasons our company is so focused on working with brands on DSP is it's the only system that we see out there where a brand can go and grab its competitors' shoppers and bring them back to their own products. And so we see big national brands spending all this money on TV advertising and radio advertising, all this top of funnel awareness type stuff. 
consumers will go to Amazon and say, oh, I wonder if these products are available on Amazon. But even if they don't buy those products right away, you have a situation where no-name brands, smaller brands can come and scoop up all those shoppers who are in the shopping aisle saying, I'm interested in this category product. I might even be interested in these very specific products. A competitor comes along and says, I'm going to introduce you to my brand, my better mousetrap version of the national brand. And you end up with this crazy situation where for a whole lot less money, these brands can grab large numbers of national brand shoppers and essentially take advantage of the fact that these national brands are spending all this money top of funnel, but they're not properly protecting at bottom of funnel. So some of this nifty stuff that can be done by smaller brands, this just means that national brands are going to continue to have their lunches eaten. If, when I talked about earlier, you need to have an Amazon channel strategy, part of that is going to be around how do you use Amazon as a protective mechanism in order to ensure that all the awareness building advertising you do, TV or social media or what have you, you're also scooping up your own customers at the bottom of the funnel on an Amazon channel. Got it. And now a word from our sponsor. The retail industry is facing new uncertainties. But what if you can turn that uncertainty into opportunity? Now's the time for brands to level up and accelerate the innovative ideas that have been weighing in the balance. During the Now Virtual Retail Innovation Conference, get tactical tips and best practices from your peers around the big acceleration. Learn how you can create relevant and immersive digital journeys, optimize the e-commerce browsing and buying experience, support omni-channel fulfillment services, plus so much more. The two-day online experience is taking place on October 13th and 14th. And as a listener of the Retail Remix podcast, we're giving you 25% off your all-access pass when you use the code PODVIP at checkout. Just use the link in the show notes to get started. Get inspired by the brightest minds in retail and start finding clarity in the chaos. Register for the Retail Innovation Conference today. So since we're in the mindset of strategic takeaways and to-dos, I guess, for our listeners, what else can they do to kind of measure up their, let's start with Amazon first, their Amazon-specific strategy, then we can get into overall all-digital experience. I mean, are there any key steps that folks need to go through to determine, you know, what does our strategy look like going into Q4 in 2021? What does that look like? Yep. So let's talk short-term and medium-term. If I'm a retailer today and I don't sell on Amazon, chances are the brands that I sell are probably being sold by somebody else. And if the brands that I sell are not adequately protecting distribution, as a retailer, the Amazon channel may not actually be a very good opportunity for me because I can't afford to sell products at a lower price on Amazon to compete with the unauthorized sellers that are there, in part because the brands that I represent don't do a very good job of controlling distribution. Typically, resellers or retailers who sell someone else's brands, that's a hard model to make work on Amazon unless the brand says, hey, Mr. Retailer, I'm going to make you my exclusive reseller on Amazon and I'm going to properly protect the distribution. So you're, in fact, the only one that has access to product to sell on the Amazon channel. Brands don't make those difficult decisions. You know, I'm comfortable generalizing saying that. If a retailer can convince a brand to make them the exclusive reseller on Amazon and represent the brand's interest on Amazon, yeah, then there's an opportunity for you as a retailer to sell those products on Amazon. 
that's just not the norm by any means because brands like to sell product to as many people as they want only to discover that that creates competition on Amazon. Competition leads to price erosion and all sorts of bad things happen. If you're a brand, then you need to ask yourself the question, how do I want to represent my products on Amazon? Do I want to sell them? Do I want to advertise them? Do I want to protect the branding? Those are questions that should be asked and can be addressed in a fairly short-term period between now and Q4. But the biggest problem holding back any kind of brand or any kind of retailer typically comes back to what is the brand's level of evolution when it comes to understanding that online marketplaces are here to stay. The unique pressures and opportunities of these online marketplaces creates takes advantage of all these gaps that brands have undermanaged over the past few years and creates a situation where their trusted long-term retailers are basically getting harmed because the brands are undermanaging what happens on a channel like Amazon. So short term, let's talk about what do you do if you're a retailer right now? What do you do to get ready for Q4? I would not spend your time focused on Amazon. I would spend your time saying, do I have a website? Do I have customer lists that I can leverage? Have I thought through how to make sure that I've got enough last mile delivery capacity to support online orders? Those are the types of questions I'd be asking myself in the next two months. I would also be asking myself the question around, do I need to have so much SKU proliferation to support every type of product that every customer anywhere in the physical store space might need? Or is it better for me right now to buckle down and focus on fewer SKUs to make sure that I, I'm able to sell through basically my best-selling items and not worry about offering everybody everything. Cash is king right now in a time of uncertainty, and retailers have to be thinking about how do I convert slow-moving inventory quickly into cash, which gives myself more options down the road as we deal with more uncertainty, not only uncertainty, but length of uncertainty. That's what I would do as a retailer in the next couple of months. As a brand, you've got to be asking yourself, okay, am I selling online? If I'm not selling online, who do I want representing me online? Do I know that those folks representing me online could do a good job of protecting my brand, of protecting my pricing? Those are the kinds of questions that need to be asked. Unfortunately, Alicia, those are difficult questions for brands to work through on the executive team. And it's unlikely that if a brand hasn't had that conversation already, they're not going to have that conversation and have it resolved in the next two months in order to have Q4 all locked down. I don't mean to sound like a pessimist here, but, but, but the reality is a lot of the damage has already been done. And when we look at what's going to happen through the rest of 2020, if I'm a brand that doesn't have an e-commerce strategy or doesn't have a channel management strategy that addresses the unique pressures of online marketplaces, that should be your number one priority to get addressed in 2021. But I wouldn't rush through it and try to slam something together in the next six weeks because you're not going to do a very good job. And you're not going to have adequate time to work with your trusted retailers to make sure that they understand what you're doing, to make sure that these retailers who are hurting themselves don't just say, to heck with your brand, I'm moving on, I'm going to go get somebody else's brand. I'm going to carry someone else's brand, some brand that knows how to look after its retailers, knows how to control distribution and stabilize prices across channels. Those are the types of questions that, that retailers should be asking is, should I even be carrying all these brands when, quite frankly, these brands are doing me no service whatsoever in helping to ensure the long-term viability of me being able to make money selling products to consumers. 
Yeah. Reassessing the value of those relationships. We've definitely heard that a few times. So thank you for bringing that back to light. But before I let you go, let's dig into digital experience specifically. So you've brought up building your customer lists a little bit more. You've brought up the need to be a bit more refined in marketing. What else should brands and I guess specifically retailers, right, be prioritizing right now with the holiday in mind? Because I feel like with everything going on, all the uncertainty, you know, people trying to conserve spending from a tech standpoint, what are some realistic action items for folks right now? Because it's like, okay, we can do like all this great, cool tech right now, personalization, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, how much budget is there to really make that a reality? So I mean, do you have any quick takeaways that can possibly apply to a myriad of budgets? So number one, how do you figure out, is there slow-moving inventory you can quickly convert into cash? Because cash gives you options. And for all those stores that have been closed for months, if you're able to access that inventory and sell through some of the stale inventory, sell through it. Even if you're breaking even, sell through it, get the cash, because you're going to need it when it comes to being able to address some of these longer-term strategic issues you need to tackle in 2021. We talked about you know, avoiding skew proliferation for Q4, most retailers have already made or are just finalizing their inventory decisions for Q4. Assume that much of that inventory is going to need to be sold online. If it's going to need to be sold online, the big question you should be asking yourself is, how am I going to get all these boxes packed and out the door to consumers? There are realistic, major national constraints in place right now. UPS can barely keep up with demand, and we're not even in Q4 yet. And so with Amazon fulfilling almost two-thirds of its orders itself, I'm sorry, not fulfilling, but managing the shipping for about two-thirds of its orders itself, Amazon has said, we're not going to be relying on third-party carriers. We're going to build that out ourselves. Most retailers simply do not have that luxury. And so they need to look to, if I triple or quadruple or tenfold my online sales in Q4 relative to what I've seen in the past, do I know that my carriers of choice are actually going to be able to get the boxes out the door on time? In the last 13, 14 years, UPS has had many problems getting boxes to consumers on time for Christmas. So those are big issues for retailers to be asking their carriers. The second question that I would be asking is, when you look at all those questions on, do I have new 2021 product launches? Do I want to further evolve my catalog? I think you need to come back to the basics and say, as much as we'd like to be able to do everything for everybody, as a retailer or even as a brand, I need to focus on the best-selling items, the ones that already have traction, that consumers are already aware of and understand, that have good reviews. That's what I need to double down on. Everything else is nice to have, and right now I need to focus on need to have. The need to have is the best-selling items, the stuff that's going to work well, but also products that are more likely to be things that people realistically need versus things that people want. The gifting this year. I don't expect is going to be anywhere near what it's been in past years. If consumers are spending less money on gifts, then that's going to hurt everybody. So uh, higher margin items are not likely to be the ones that sell as well as they have in past years. So focus on the lower margin items that are known to sell a lot of volume, and then we can look and see what happens in 2021. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you a very rosy picture here, Alicia. No, <laughs> it's realistic, right? I mean, although a lot of stuff is still very much up in the air, I think it's just very much in line with the context of the situation that we're in today, right? So I think having a more realistic 
viewpoint and building your strategy around that versus grand assumptions around spending and pent up demand. If that happens, great. But at this point, who knows, really? So James, thank you again so much for taking the time out to break down some of the nuances, everything that's happening with Amazon and how that kind of trickles out into everything else in the business, right? For both brands and retailers, some really powerful action items, I think, throughout our conversation. So thank you again for taking the time out. Thanks very much for having me today, Alicia. And everyone out there, thanks as always for listening. If you have any follow-up questions for James, because this is a big, big topic, I'm sure some folks listening may have some follow-up points to bring up with James. Feel free to drop us a line on Twitter at our touch points. Let us know and hopefully we can facilitate those follow-up conversations and those connections because that's what it's all about, right? Building that community up. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea for another topic or a guest, feel free to drop us a line as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts or, frankly, your preferred podcast player. We're everywhere. That way you'll get a alert when new episodes are available. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.